Hello, Mountain. It's good to see everyone. I know you have friends joining us from Bel Air campus and the Edgewood campus and the Abingdon campus and the Mountain Road campus and online. We're glad everybody's here. How about we've got some snow finally? This is good news, right? Ooh, mixed, mixed reviews on the snow. You can always tell the reaction, like the Southerners are all like, ah, it's the end of the world. And then like all the Marylanders are like, oh, it's kind of pretty, but let's go to the store. And then like the Northerners are snobs. They're just like, this ain't snow. You know, I was born in an igloo and I rode a snowmobile to school. We eat ice for every meal. I want to go die in a snowbank. So yeah, whatever. We all get different reactions. Hey, before we begin today, I want to uh, just share with you uh, something that I think is important and fun uh, for my own family, but mostly for the Mountain family as well. And if you get Ben's notes, if you sign up for that on our website, you already heard all this, I know, but I want to share it with everybody. This last Wednesday, at our, uh, we had an all-staff Christmas party like we always do, and, and they got me good. Um, in the middle of a presentation I was making, uh, Rob Cassins, one of our executive pastors, grabbed the microphone away and just said that they and the staff wanted to do something to acknowledge and thank uh, Carla and I, for our 20 years of serving at Mountain together. And so they did that. Yeah. It was a really cool and special time. Uh, I was so grateful for it. Um, uh, so they said some nice things. And, you know, we came to this place in uh, December of 1997 with our young family. And... Um, it was just uh, been an incredibly wild ride, and the expressions of uh, appreciation have been just so warm and good for us this last week. Uh, they uh, s- surprised us by passing the hat, and they gave us the gift of some airline tickets. And we immediately, well, first of all, I'm not sure how to exactly take it. They were, they were one-way tickets. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, we, um, uh, we left family to come here, and, and then God provided us with the mountain family as our other family, and so that this family would help us go back maybe and see that other family was really special. And, uh, and uh, then they surprised us with a gift of a book with some nice things in it that people had said about things that got it done here, and it was just a great time. And then uh, from backstage out paraded, quite unbeknownst to me, a whole long line of people that I had done ministry with over the years here at Mountain. I've been in the trenches with some elders and former elders, and it was just quite an amazing uh, time. I hugged their necks, and it was very emotional, actually, for me, really, really fun time. And then one of them, Gil Shelsby, one of our elders, just proceeded to, um, to say that they knew that how much my relationship with my grandfather had meant. He was a Greek immigrant, and what a big part of the legacy of our family he has been. And, uh, and because of that, they also had passed the hat and had decided that they are going to send Carl and I on a trip to Greece, of all things. Can you believe that? So we're just blown away by all that. And uh, it was just very, very uh, overwhelming and exciting and fun. And then they just gathered around us and prayed that God will just blow the doors off for the next 20 years around this place. And uh, I just wanted to share that with you because not only it was a fun moment for our family, but I think it's an important time for our whole church to just step back once in a while and, and just look at what God has done and, and uh, be able to say with Psalm 118, the Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. And I'll tell you one thing, we're just getting started. And I cannot wait to see what God's going to do next around here. So thank you for being the kind of place to serve. And we've loved that. And we're ready to go. So let's move forward. 
Lots, uh, lots ahead of us, okay? Hey, let's move from the sublime to the ridiculous, and let me begin by uh, uh, showing you a movie clip that some of you will love and some of you will not love, because it's from that classic, great classic Christmas movie, Christmas Vacation, and it's a scene where little Kitty starts messing with Christmas lights. Go ahead and watch the screen. I told you you had too many plugs in one outlet. What is it? Nothing. Let's go in and finish our dessert. That thing had nine lives. She just spent them all. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> All right, I told you some of you would love it. Some of you, maybe not as much. I promise you no real cats were injured in the making of this sermon. Um, so a little kitty got a charge out of that, I guess. Uh, a little too much of the Christmas lights. Uh, you could even say he glowed. So anyway, I want to I actually start today with uh, a very uh, important question, not a silly one at all. And here's the question for you. Um, are you glowing is there a sense in which people who know you would say that the light of God is displayed in your life? Would people who know you, and they see what you say, and they see what you do, would they say that something of the goodness and the light and the beauty and the truth of God is somehow seen in your life? Are you glowing? You know, in the Old Testament... The presence of God was often manifested in bright, brilliant light. Like sometimes in the temple, a huge bright cloud, it was called the Shekinah glory of God, would show up so brightly that they couldn't hardly look at it. Whenever the intensified presence of God was in a place, sometimes the priests couldn't even perform their duties because of the light of God. One time it says in Exodus that when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, where he communed with God in some very intimate way, talked with God, was hearing from God, was in God's very presence where he received the Ten Commandments. It says that when he went back down, Exodus chapter 34, verse 29 says, when he came back down with those tablets in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Something of God's glory and God's brilliance, God's presence, God's goodness, God's light rubbed off on Moses, changed Moses. And everybody knew it. Everybody could see it. They could tell because he was glowing, literally, I guess. So much so that the Bible says that Moses would actually put on a veil over his face because of how he was glowing. Friends, you cannot encounter 
the living God and remain unchanged. You can't do it. The light of God will have an impact on you. It'll get on you. It'll get in you. It'll shine through you. Others will see you'll be different. You'll be glowing. Are you, are you glowing? The people who know you, would they say that you display the light of God somehow through your life? Is it oozing out of you? When people look at you and your actions and your words, does something that looks like God's light visible? You know, sometimes I think we wear veils too, don't we? You know, uh, like Moses did. Veils that kind of hide the light. We want the light. We, we know, we, we cry out sometimes, God, give us the light. We want that in our life. We want the light of God's like forgiveness in our, in our dark hearts. We want the light of God's power when we need it. We want the light of God's blessing and God's favor. We want God's beauty and love and peace. We want all that stuff, but sometimes we just want to keep it to ourselves and kind of veil it so others don't benefit. Sometimes we live behind a veil, don't we? You know, as a pastor, one of the benefits is I get to do a lot of weddings, and, and uh, one of the highlights of, of every wedding is that moment when daddy, misty-eyed father is coming down the aisle with a, a daughter on his arm, and they get to the front, and there they are, and then that moment comes where he lifts that veil, and there she is. Never seen an ugly bride. There was one that was close, but no, I'm just kidding. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, he just like, lifts that veil, and there's that face. And it's a radiant, beautiful moment of exposure. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think maybe the Lord, our, f- our Father, wants to do that with you and me, to lift the veil, share the light that he's put in us so it can be seen. You know, some translators think that the reason Moses put the veil on his face, as 2 Corinthians 3 says, is because the glory of God was fading from his life. He didn't want anybody to know. They wanted, he wanted everyone to think that he was still all full of glowy God, when in fact maybe he wasn't. So he kind of faked it. I wonder if we do that sometimes too. I want people to think we're a little fuller of God's goodness than we really are. So today I invite you to think about your life in relation to God's light that we've been talking about in recent week. And let's get our veils off and commit to living in that way and to figure out how we can glow. But don't worry, it's not your own light we're talking about. We're just like that kitty. We need a power source from outside of ourselves. And so we're doing this series called Light. Light. And we began at the beginning remembering that at the beginning there was nothing but darkness and that swirling mass of chaotic nothingness that hovered everywhere, and God spoke into the darkness, and the first thing he said was, let there be light, and there was light, and God said, let's call it a day. That's a joke. You don't get it. Never mind. Um, But throughout the Bible, we see that, that light is there not just as a physical thing, but light becomes one of the huge metaphors and images of spiritual reality. In fact, we see in Scripture that God is light. 
everything about God's nature and essence kind of boils down to light. The purity and the holiness of God is like a light purifying darkness and, and, uh, and, and reversing corruptness. And, and the light of life overcomes the darkness of death. And you see all these images, this powerful thing of light. And, and even his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, you see. And so, so John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 sums it up most succinctly when it says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare now to you, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Wherever God is, there can't be darkness. And wherever there's darkness, there's no God. He is light. And all that he is is represented by light. And so when God sees darkness in a realm that is meant to belong to him, a person's life or a planet he made, well, he sends light to reclaim it. He sends light. One of the things that the fact that God is light points out to us that's so important is that there is such a thing as darkness, spiritual darkness. There's a prince of darkness. There's an enemy of the light who's at work to bring darkness into your life, into your mind, your heart, your marriage, the life, the world, the schools, everything, right? There's a, there's a darkness, and we can feel and sense that present darkness in our lives. Every time you encounter strife or envy or malice or gossip or selfishness or immorality or corruptness or injustice or unkindness, it's all invaded this planet and even has planted itself in our own dark hearts. And so how beautiful, isn't it, that God, who is light, spoke again into the darkness as he did at the beginning and said again to the mass of swirling darkness that this life, this world, and our own hearts have become. And he said again, let there be light, except this time he wasn't planting luminaries in the heavens. He was sending his son to this dark planet, Jesus Christ. This is what Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 is referring to when it said 700 years before the time of Jesus, the people walking in darkness, the people living in the land of darkness, have seen a great light. A light has dawned on us. So you begin to see this transfer of light, if you will, from God who is light, and he begins to transfer it by extending himself into the planet. It's like Christmas is about God shining a flashlight into the dark closet of earth. A shaft, and it was first seen by shepherds who thought it was scary and hid from it. And they said, no, it's good news because the light was ultimately Jesus Christ. Because now you see, that's not just God who is light, but see, Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light. You see the transfer? It's not like Jesus is the light instead of God, but now they are, they are one, and God has come among us, and on earth we've got God's brilliance, not up on the mountain with Moses, but right down in our midst. Wow. God can't dwell with darkness. And if there's a realm that he wants back, he sends light, and he sent his son, who said then in John chapter 12, John chapter 12, verse 44 to 46, whoever believes in me doesn't believe in me only, but in the one who sent me, he and the Father are one. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Or John chapter 8, where Jesus just said it very starkly, I am the light of the world. 
I am the light of the world. And so then when you look at the life of Jesus, you see this, you see this transfer happening where Jesus just embodies light everywhere he goes. He glowed, didn't he? Didn't Jesus glow? Think of how he lived. Think of the stuff he did. It's like everywhere he went, it's like light oozing out of him, right? There's that guy who's, who's all messed up with demons trapped in darkness, and Jesus says, let him go, and he does, because that's how Jesus rolls with that kind of light power. And there's that guy who's literally blind in darkness, and Jesus says, open your eyes, and he can, he can see, because that's how Jesus rolls with light goodness. And he spoke truth to people, brought words of life. There was that woman who was living in the disillusioned darkness of her own self-deceit when she believed that some man was going to make her happy. The woman at the well, and Jesus told her the truth of light, and it set her free to she could drink living water instead of looking for a man. So everywhere Jesus goes, he's bringing this healing and compassion, love and wisdom, truth, dispelling lies and hypocrisy, bringing hope. And that's what light looks like. That's the God light on the planet. And here's where it gets amazing. Jesus next does something that should absolutely get our attention and blow our doors off. He's speaking one day to followers of Jesus, not, not giving an address to people in general, but to those who have followed him. Anyone who says, I want to be a Christian, or I want to follow Jesus, which should really lean in and listen. Because in this section of Scripture in Matthew 4 and 5 and 6, he, he's talking to what we sometimes call the Sermon on the Mount. And he has this section called the Beatitudes, these beautiful attitudes that describe and picture who we are when you look like Jesus. And after he talks about how we're supposed to be to look like Jesus, if we're asking ourselves, so what does that mean? How do we live? He answers the question, and the next thing he says is where we lean in because what Jesus does now is amazing. He then says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And it's plural, so all y'all are the light of the world. You see the transfer? God can't dwell where there's darkness. And where he sees darkness, he sends the light. And so he, he manifested his presence to Moses, but then he came in person in Jesus, and now Jesus sends you. You are the light of the world. And this theme is all through the New Testament. John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. Go be light. Ooze it. Do what I did. Colossians chapter 1, you see this carried out this way. May you be filled with joy, you God people, always thanking the Father. Why? Because he's qualified you, he enabled you, 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 to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us, there it is, into the kingdom of his dear son. You've been transferred. 1 Peter 2, 9 Echoes it similarly. Again, listen to all the you language. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests now. You are a holy nation. You are God's very own special possession. Why? So what? What does it mean, Jesus? He says it again. So that you can show others the goodness of God. You can glow. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
I could show you so many more scriptures like that. One of my favorites is in Philippians chapter 2, where he's just finished talking about how Jesus is filled with humility, but then he turns around and says, you know, this world is a pretty corrupt place and filled with darkness. Do you know this? Does anybody feel like that's still true today? The world's got a lot of darkness in it. And that's when the writer just says, ah, but you, you, chapter 2, verse 14 of Philippians 2, you will shine among them like stars. You're going to stand out in the dark sky like stars in the universe. Here's a picture of stars in the night sky taken with a telescope. It looks dark, right? It's night, but you can see it's also got these bright stars that pop. And the Bible says that's your job description. Shine like a star in the night sky. Stand out, shine, glow, get your veil off, because the world's a dark place. A woman told me last week, my family doesn't believe in God. The husband I live with and my son who lives with me, all they do is go to work, come home and get high, play video games, go to bed and get up and do it all over the next day. How am I supposed to do it? What am I going to do? She's just doing her very best to shine like a star in that universe. There aren't very many Christians in my school, she said, at least none who take it very seriously. So she's just shining like a star in that universe as best she can. I have a growing concern about real problems of injustice in our world, he said. Sex trafficking and health care for the poor, those kinds of things. Maybe I should change my major and learn how to defend and help people to bring hope to them as a lawyer. Shine like a star in the night sky. Engineers are putting their heads together and helping us at Missions of Hope in Africa to help farmers farm in more sustainable ways so that the land is not uh, eroded as quickly and so that more people have jobs and they're actually doing fish farming and tilapia raising and all that's providing jobs and sustainable stuff. It's turning things around in a very dark area. Shine like a star in the universe. My son goes to University of Maryland at College Park, and in case you didn't know, there are thousands of students there who don't exactly walk in the light. But every week he teaches a Bible study in a dorm room with freshmen because he just wants to shine his light like a star in the universe. How's God calling you to shine like a star in the night sky? What would that look like in your life? Are you glowing? Let's go back and look at this passage a little bit closer because it will help us Uh, see some things that we can kind of wrap up in a practical way to really put this into um, everyday life, okay? So we go back to this passage in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and following. Jesus, again, is, is, is just finished teaching the Sermon on the Mount, so he's kind of like described, this is what it means to live as a Christian, and the answer comes back in our minds invisibly like, or, or, or inaudibly, so what? For what purpose? This is his answer to that question. Here's why all this matters. Here's why you need to look like Jesus. And he gives two metaphors, salt and light. And if we pay attention to both of them, they're really saying the same thing in different ways so we can learn about them from each other. So he begins by saying, you're the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? 
Can you make it salty again? In those days, uh, salt wasn't just sodium chloride like we have today as a chemical or an element. It was, it was from minerals, and so it would lose its saltiness, in which case it was worthless. And in case it would only be good to just throw out and trample underfoot, an expression for throw it in the trash. Verse 14. He says the same thing now with a different metaphor, light. You're the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. Or, to use another example of light, uh, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. No. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house, picturing, you know, how you have a one-room house in those days, and you light a lamp, and you put it on there, and everybody can see. That's what light is for. Verse, four, verse 16 then wraps it up, and he says, in the same way, let your good actions shine out. For all to see. Why? So they think you're awesome? No. No, because it's not your light. No, you, you let your light shine and do good stuff so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. That's why we're called. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful se- section that just reminds us Christians are to permeate and infiltrate and penetrate every nook and cranny of this old dark world. Wherever, wherever you are, whatever club, whatever team, whatever workplace, whatever neighborhood, whatever family you're in, you're meant, you're sent to be light. So we can see what he means by light by going back and looking at salt for a second. In the ancient world, salt was a preservative. Everything's going to rot and go to heck, right? There's no refrigerators. So, so he's just saying, you got to be different. You're not going to be part of the moral decay. In fact, you're going to have a preserving aspect. You're going to preserve the good and the beautiful that God has brought. My friend, how are you preserving the good and the beautiful in this world? If you're not doing that, according to Jesus, you're missing your calling. You're missing why you're here. You're here to make a difference, to make an impact, to sniff out corruption, blandness, and be one of those people who when you show up, things get better. Because you're there. That's salt. What's better because of you, Christ follower? What family, what relationship, what workplace, what, what project, what goodness and beauty in the world is better because you're there? And as a reminder, salt doesn't do much good as long as it's in the shaker. It doesn't do any good if we all get in here and agree about it. This is just a big old shaker, and God's going to shake us on out of here when we're done so we can go rub ourselves into the meat or whatever else is about to decay and make a difference. Who needs you? What cause needs you? Your salt. And this, you see, gives us insight into what Jesus means when he says next, you're the light of the world. It's not a new idea. It's the same idea, different metaphor. He says we're going public with this, this good news of Jesus, and you're the demonstration. And reminder, it's plural. All y'all, you are the light of the world, which is a great reminder that you aren't solely responsible. In fact, none of us is responsible to dispel the darkness. We're all just together responsible to display the light. And we do that together. In fact, there's nothing that's more eloquent as a testimony to the reality of God and that Jesus is real and he's alive there's nothing more eloquent, no sermon, no, no pageant, no, nothing is as eloquent as a group of people who live a life that's so radical and different and filled with light that people just have to conclude, God must be real because of that. 
because of the way they live. You're the light of the world. He says it's like a city on a hill. Here's a picture of an ancient city. This is Tiberius, actually. I don't think there was quite as many light bulbs in Jesus' day, but still, you could look up on that hill, and there was that city. You can't miss it. You can't not see it. That's what he's saying. It's like a city on a hill. It's, like, it's not like, oh, I never noticed that before. No, no, no. It's there all the time. we got a group right now. It's on the ground in Puerto Rico from Mountain. Here's a picture of them. They're hanging out down there and getting ready to prepare the way for the next several trips. And I hope maybe some of you will go on the future trips to Puerto Rico or Jacksonville or Texas as we do hurricane relief work. But they're down there, and you know what? They're just showing up, and some family is, is down there discouraged, and they're, they're, they're trying to pull branches off of their house still, and they look up, and there's someone handing them a water bottle or a meal or helping them with the clearing or the rebuilding and say, what are you doing here? It's, We're just here because we love you, and Jesus loves you. And we want to bring light. You can't not notice that. You can't not notice that. Or he says it another way. When people light a lamp, they only do it for one reason. And that's to light the house. Jesus says, I only called you to follow me for one reason. You're a light. I I didn't call you to, to sit under a bucket. That's his point. You are light. The very purpose of being a follower of Jesus is to shed light. It's why you're here. How do we do that? Well, verse 16, he answers the question. Let your good actions be seen. Do stuff that people have to notice. Not so they notice you. Jesus was very down on people who drew attention to themselves. But do it so that light actually shines on the Father. So they praise their Father in heaven. When when you are light, you do good so they will find their way to God. Light shows the way to God. So are you glowing? Are you unveiled and brilliant like a star in the sky? Let me share with you just kind of two important decisions that you can make if you're serious about saying, I want to glow. I I would like to have some dimension of my life, a greater dimension of my life that is useful for God in this way where I'm part of the light that shines in a dark world. And the first thing is this. Shining the light means sharing the truth of Jesus with words sometimes. Shining the light. You want to be a light? Well, you you got to share the truth about Jesus. His truth. Sometimes that means loosing your tongue and speaking up and using your influence and, and thinking. You know, look for ways to bring the light of God into a life or into a situation that needs it, using your words. You know, I have a friend who opened up to me on email recently about a drinking problem, and I think he's pretty new at identifying it as a problem. And he said some things about how it's getting worse, and I could tell he was becoming aware it was going to ruin his life. Everything was at risk, including his health and his marriage and his future and what God had for him, and he opened the door, asked me what I thought. And so I did my best to just shine a big old Jesus flashlight right in on it. And I said, you're right, it's going to kill you. And you'll have nothing but a pile of regret if you don't do something about this. And I also reminded him that he was probably numbing some kind of pain or, you know, any addiction is just a symptom of something that's a deep part inside of us. There's a darkness that needs the light of Jesus too. And that that might take some time and help to figure that out. And thanked him so much for being willing to step into the light that way. Sometimes 
sometimes if you want to be a light, I think God encouraged me to be a light by speaking some words. I think might have helped him, and he's on his way. Who might need to hear truth about Jesus and his life and light from you? There's a man who realized his marriage had been sliding into the toilet for a long time, but he was oblivious because he was too busy with his own problems and his own career and his own stuff going on. He didn't even notice his wife was struggling greatly over a long period of time. So she finally got hardened and kind of bitter and changed a lot, so much so that he began to realize he might lose her. And that was about the time a friend came along and spoke some words of truth that helped him look in the mirror and see who he was becoming. And that's when he had a come-to-Jesus moment. And it broke him. And he felt terrible and sad. And sometimes that's the way light feels. But that spoken word helped him see it. And now, after he asked his wife to forgive him, they're on their way. They're on their way. Light was spoken. Truth was spoken. You probably know somebody in your world who's off track spiritually, not relating with God at all, doesn't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of life. They're spiritually lost. They may not look that way. A lot of people can look all together and put together on the outside and still be completely lost on the inside, alienated, confused, or they may be like, I don't need any help. I'm all together. But the Bible says that if you're lost, you're in darkness. And if the Bible's to be believed at all, it means that you're not just kind of lost now. You're lost for eternity. Where you, that's, what, that's what heaven and hell is ultimately, is light and dark, with God or away from God. And so you probably have friends like that who are literally, in a spiritual sense, groping in a dark room, feeling for a knob somewhere that might open to their touch and swing open to the room where God is dwelling in light. But they won't find that knob until you speak some words that help them find it. Sometimes that's the way God works. He sent his son, and now he's sending you. I wonder who it is in your life who's groping in the dark, needing someone to simply aim them to the light. I, I think it's Perfect that we have this amazing Christmas Eve service coming. We have all these services coming up, and it's true that people might accept an invitation from you. We're going to do our best to talk about Jesus in a way that's winsome and warm and compelling, and it's not going to make any difference if there's somebody that really needs to hear it that you don't speak to. So those cards on your chair, they're not just wasting paper. That might be a tool that God intends for you to use so that something, like we say in 1 Corinthians 3, 5, so that we could just be servants through whom someone might come to believe. My, my friend Joe has already informed me that he's bringing 54 people to one of our services. Maybe you're a lightweight and you can't bring 54. But maybe you could bring five. Or four. Or three. Or two. Or just someone who might come to believe. Shining light means showing truth of Jesus through words. And then also this other decision that we'd each have to make is this. If you want to glow, shining light 
means showing the love of Jesus in action. As Bob Goff would say, love does. Sometimes you got to do stuff. Enough talk. Love does. It's, it's more than just thinking about something kind that you ought to do someday. It's more than just realizing you should offer to help someone write that note, make that call, bring that meal, do that thing. It's actually doing it. It's why we offer a Christmas offering every year. So you can put your money where your mouth is if you want to. You can go online and give a gift or write a check and actually send some young pastor to school or plant a church in Peru or rebuild a home in a hurricane-devastated area. If you want to spread light, sometimes you got to do something like that. If you want to be the light. That's why we sponsor kids. That's why we demonstrated in so many ways. Love does. There's so many examples, isn't there? There's an appropriate concern on the part of many Christians for the unborn. For the defenseless lives of people that God created who cannot defend themselves, who need advocacy and defenders and someone to stick up for them. Love and action that does sometimes has to do that to really spread light in that dark arena. It's been a highly politicized term, but it's a still a good one. Pro-life. We're for life. And especially it's remembered to do it in a way that doesn't make us obnoxious, but leads people to actually praise the Father in heaven, not despise him. But let's not just be one-issue Christians. Let's be fully pro-life. Let's love people, not just who aren't born How about we love people in actions who are born? How about the people who are all around us? This is why we care about anyone who needs advocacy, anyone who's defenseless, anyone who's a victim of some systemic injustice. This is why refugees is not a political issue. Immigration is not just a political issue. It's a Christian issue. We care about young moms. We care about older citizens. We care about anyone Who isn't being treated fairly? Racism, sexism, abuse, these are not just political issues. These are light of God issues. That's why we mentor kids. It's why we care about adoption. It's why we want to foster kids. We're going to do more than complain and gripe and vote. We're going to get in there and do something. Let's be completely pro-life and show love in action if we want to be light. Caring for all people. This past week, the staff had that party I told you about, and we just, you know, we wanted to get together and do some fun stuff. But you know what else we did? We just took off on a field trip and we went to 16 different locations just to bring light and love through action, just to show up and bless them. The group I was with, we went down to the the trooper, the state troopers barracks on Route One. Here's a picture of our team. You know what we did? We brought those cops. We brought them. We brought them a coffee maker and donuts. Uh, You talk about their love language. They were all over that stuff. But, you know, I, I think they appreciated it. And we just listened to them and told them we appreciate it. No, it's kind of hard for what they're doing right now. They told us stories about the heroin epidemic. And we asked how we could pray for them. And they said, pray for our spouses. It's scary being married to one of us right now. And it was a good time. And we just wanted to leave some light and show it in a real action way. Here, here's another group that Sean Cole t- took and went over to Hartford Family House and all they do for the homeless. And just told them, thank you for what you're doing. We went to 16 places, FCCAU, Homeless Shelter, Habitat for Humanity, the Hartford Community Action Agency, Tabitha's House and Food Pantry, Kia's Corner and Peaceful Waters, Women's Recovery, the Sark Center for Abuse and uh, Hartford County Sheriff's Office. 
the team family outreach, different schools, all this stuff. Why? Just to show up and say, we love you. Because sometimes love does. Sometimes love is an action. And you got to do that. But you know, you don't have to plan a big event. Sometimes it's just your life. It just oozes out of you. You glow, even in unplanned ways. Are you glowing? What will you do this week that will let your light shine? It's worth thinking about. Otherwise, we'll just agree to it, nod our heads to it, amen to it, which Jesus says you might as well stick yourself under a bucket until we actually glow, shine. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for loving us enough to send your son. And we are thrilled that now he has sent us. And that you can use dark people like us, people who've walked in darkness, to not only see the light, but to spread it and to be it. So use us, God, in what we say and in what we do to glow. Amen.